I think we have officially what? Eight Sundays before Christmas? Yeah. How about that? I just made everybody panic. Every parent just panicked. Uh, we've, been, we've been in a series called Jekyll and Hyde. And yes, Halloween is whatever day it is. It's a couple days. T- tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> Halloween's tomorrow. This is not necessarily a Halloween series, but we, we, we took some liberty uh, with this series as, as people are oftentimes dressing up and playing a part that they're, they're not actually that person. And, and we're talking about hypocrisy. And the word hypocrite literally means actor, somebody who plays a part. And the story of Jekyll and Hyde is, is, is a simple one. You have a, a, a doctor who appears to be one thing. He drinks a potion and, and allows him to be another. He's, he's disguised. What's on the inside, he can finally let out. Kind of the repressed inner guy, so to speak. But when we look at hypocrisy and we really get down to it, people do not like hypocrites. I mean, we just are. Hypocrisy gets us upset just about faster than anything else. We can't stand it. But if we really are honest today, but really, truly honest, there's a hypocrite inside every single one of us. Maybe even just, maybe it's a little one, or maybe it's a really big one. But every one of us has a measure of saying one thing and either intentionally or, or maybe a little bit unintentionally doing the opposite. I know I do. I don't like that. It's something that I have to continually bring to God, that I'm not fully the person that I want to be. And so this morning, we're going to jump into the text, but allow me to begin by confessing. I've been talking to our life group, and I've been talking here at the church. Sorry, this earpiece is giving me fits. About not getting in divisive conversations on social media. I've been preaching on it. I've been teaching on it. I've been ministering in our life group about it. And then I go and post something, and and I became the hypocrite. I didn't mean to. I actually didn't think that it was going to be as divisive as it was. But I got the division award for the century on one of those posts. And you know what it's like when you just click the comments and you grab some popcorn and you you just start reading, I mean, one after the other of people that are just ready to go to war. It's crazy. And then I felt bad, and I just told everybody not to do this, and then I, here I am doing this. I didn't mean to, church. (laughs) I didn't mean it, but I was. Turn in your Bibles or on your phones to 2 Timothy 3.5. We're going to take this conversation in a little bit of a different direction today. Paul, one of the great men of the New Testament, an apostle, leader in the early church, he's writing a a letter to Timothy, and Timothy is, is, is leading one of these young churches, Timothy himself is a young man, and he writes this to Timothy, he says, mark this, Timothy, 
There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. They have nothing to do with such people. Doesn't sound too different than right now, does it? Those are, those are heavy words. We're talking about a people that have a form of godliness, but deny that godliness is power. The God that they are trying to emulate in some form or fashion, they're mildly emulating in some, in some degree, but they don't have the power that the God that you worship actually has. And so naturally, their lives are left unchanged. And so they can be rightly accused of being slanderous, of being lovers of pleasure, of being disobedient to parents, loving hatred, loving discord, loving all the things that are in that list. And I have to be honest with you. As I examine my own heart, there are things that I find myself having to deal with in Paul's list of things to Timothy. You probably can see yourself in one of those things, two of those things, maybe three of those things. And what we're going to talk about today is the kind of people who have a form of godliness but deny its power. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? You have this big long list and then, a, and then a dash in your Bible, which means that this little phrase, a form of godliness but denying its power, is meant to encapsulate this whole list of things. People are stuck living this way because they don't actually have God's power at work in their life. They have a form of godliness but no power. You may not have thought about Christianity having a form. It's kind of a weird thing to think about, isn't it? But think about the way you practice your faith. What do you do? Shout some things out. What do people of faith do? They go to church. Yes, they do. They should. <laughs> what else do you do? You pray. What else do you do? You read the Bible. Anything else? Worship. You worship. Most people, at least in North America, have a measure of worship that's associated generally with some kind of music as well, if they're a part of a church. And so you can see where I'm going with this. You can have a form of godliness. You can be part of a church. You can go and be part of the Sunday service, 10 a.m., do your thing. You can even have memorized prayers. You can 
You can love the worship songs and the music and have great podcasts that you listen to from people that speak well. All of these things that kind of put together a mashup from the outside looking in, and that person must be godly. But you can have all of those things, the form of godliness, which might I add, is a great thing. We need the form of godliness, but we need that form with God's power. And the tragic thing is that oftentimes we can get down. We've got the form down to a T, but we may not actually know Jesus. I said it last week, I'll say it again. You can, just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a chicken nugget. Just because you go to a church and you have a, a access to the form and you have your traditions and you have your, your religious rights, so to speak, doesn't mean that you are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean it. And that's why you can see pastors who are so anointed leading churches of thousands, walking in gross immorality before their church because you can get the form down and still not have any of God's life-changing power. It's easy to do. And when that's the case, you begin to see all of these other things that Timothy writes about beginning to come back alive in your life. debated on whether to share this because sometimes when I talk about growing up as a Christian, I don't like to stand here and talk bad about other churches or other experiences. And so hear that in this lens this morning. I grew up in St. Louis, had great parents who loved Jesus, and they taught me to do the same. But there was something about my church growing up, and, and I don't see this say this to shame them. It's where I got my initial roots in the Lord. But there, there was this thing, when, when I talk about the power of God, those are words we never talked about. God's power. It wasn't something that was preached about. It wasn't something that was prayed for. Think about this for a second, because many of you grew up this way as well. You had a great service. You had great worship. You had great relationships, but the move of the power of God that changed people's lives, you may not actually have seen that all that much. You may have just been part of a church where it was us and no more. The thought of engaging the lost, the thought of trying to take territory, so to speak, in God's name, seeing his kingdom advance, trying to believe God for a neighborhood to experience Jesus, for his people to get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and walking in his power. Those weren't things we talked about. We didn't talk about reaching the lost. We didn't talk about praying for God to heal someone. 
We didn't lay it all on the line and, and ask for his power to move or believe for miracles. Those were kind of things we read about in the Bible and they were simply things of old. Good stories. And we believe them as true. But to believe God for that today, those weren't things we really, we just didn't really talk about them. And so, I was the perfect example of someone who had learned godliness, but I didn't really see God's power. I hear this for a second. Because there's a measure of hypocrisy in every single one of us if we're going to, with our lips, talk about God, sing to God, Worship God, read the Bible about God, pray to God, but when it actually comes to using your faith and believing and trusting God, well, no way. And so we become a people addicted to information about God and learning about Him, but not actually knowing Him and seeing Him move. I'm going to jack the quote here for a second because I couldn't find the book. But it was, a, it was a, two pastors talking. One of them was from the U.S. and one was from Africa. And the American pastor asked, why do you see God move so powerfully all the time? And the pastor very gently, very kindly said, in the West, you study your God. But in Africa, we experience Him. It's powerful. Now, if you're hearing me say don't study and don't know about God, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm getting back to the same thing. Just because you've learned a great deal of information doesn't mean you know Him. And just because you have a form of godliness doesn't mean you have access to His power. Doesn't mean He's showing up in your life. And church, we need Him. We desperately, desperately need more of God. We need his power. I've been emotional all morning, putting the final tweaks on the message, was crying during worship, and I can't really even express it or explain it. There's just a, there's just a weight that I'm feeling this morning as we, as we talk about this, because for many of us, we just, it's like we have a mental block when it comes to Trusting God for things that we simply don't see or can experience with our five senses. If we can't touch it and feel it and put it in a nice little box, we just kind of stay away from it. And there is much to this God that we serve that you will never understand, but that you can still trust anyway. This idea of... Just because you don't understand God's hand doesn't mean that you can't trust his heart. See, some of you are in that boat where you just have never experienced it, and so you don't think about praying for God to move in that way. And we should, and we need to. And P.S., he does. Whether it's as simple as a finger and the God of heaven and earth 
repairing nerve damage, and bringing somebody back to faith. God does that. God straightens backs and heals spines and heals legs and heals hearts and makes people new. Miracles happen all the time. In fact, if you have ever seen God or experienced God move in a way that you cannot explain, raise your hand. It's a lot of hands. Most of us can attest to something, and yet we find ourselves doubting again. We find ourselves not praying again. We find ourselves not trusting again. And I believe God wants to rewrite that story in our lives today. Some of us, it's, it's I have faith for everybody in their situation. You need healing, no problem. I can pr- I'm going to pray for you today. I'm going to believe for you today. You need a breakthrough in your job. You know what? Let me pray for you. Let me trust God with you. You need prayer for your children. Got it. I'm going to write this down on my prayer card. and I'm going to pray for you. And yet when it comes time for you to believe God for something in your life, You're dormant. Where's that faith? And we have to ask ourselves, if we don't have faith for our situation, do we really have faith for other people's? Or have we just learned what praying looks like in this situation? Have we just learned what it looks like to pray for somebody who needs healing? Have we learned to just know what it's like to pray for someone's kids or for their family? Because if faith works in your life, surely it would work in your situation first. This past week, our internet went down. And I thought Jesus was going to return. I did. Three days. Whoa. I mean, we we had the shakes, you know. Wasn't that bad. But it's interesting because when when the internet went down on Wednesday, you know, there were a couple of things I knew to do first. Go to the modem and check the lights. But after about five seconds of looking at that, I knew it's time to call somebody else. I need to call AT&T. And I need to let them know that that this isn't working right. This is not as it has been designed to do. I need a technician to come out and, and rework this, rewire this. And so they did. They laid brand new cable in the yard. They ran it all the way down the street to the new box, et cetera. They were doing the whole nine yards. They've got more guys coming out to bury that cable in the yard and route it underneath the driveway. They're experts in what they do. And while, yes, it took three days, the reality is, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have all of the knowledge and all the information and all the expertise and all of the training. Somebody else did. And I needed that person in my situation. 
And guess what they did? Button, 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 push, reroute on the phone, doing their thing. I don't know what they did. I don't even know what they did. I don't care what they did. All I cared about is that the person who had the knowledge, who had the ability, came into my situation and did it. And I was so thankful. And what I'm getting at here this morning as we talk about godliness with no power and godliness with power is that there has to be something inside of us that's instinctive for us to begin to look up to the heavens for someone who knows more about our situation than we do, for someone who has more strength for the situation than we do, for someone who has more power for that given situation than we do. We need God and his power in our lives. But more often than not, we stick around just fiddling with it ourselves, unplugging things, trying to make it work, getting frustrated, and we treat prayer like it's the absolute last resort for our life. Well, since I've exhausted every other option, I guess I'll pray about it. I guess, God, if, if you're able, you know, I've kind of just exhausted my energy all these other places. Whatever you got, you know, go ahead and bring it. Is that really seeking God and his power for your life? I don't think it is. And I want you to know that I'm guilty of that. I think even that's why I was emotional this morning is just the Holy Spirit even convicting me of running to Him faster, of going to God quicker, of expecting Him and praying to Him and believing for Him to move. What can He not do? What can the God of heaven and earth not do? I haven't found anything. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians. He said, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Meaning more than, than trying to get all the words just all fanciful and perfect and right. And trying to convince people and impress people into God's kingdom. He came full of the power of the Holy Spirit. How often we try in our own strength to get it just right and just perfect and get everything lined up. And somehow God is supposed to move in that when what we really need is just the Holy Spirit and His power. And that's what we need. Jesus reminded us in Matthew 6, 9 through 10, what we call the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read just a portion of it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is called the Lord's Prayer, but it's, it's really not the Lord's Prayer. It was the prayer that he was giving the disciples, teaching them how to pray. They say, Jesus, how, how, how do we pray like you? Well, let me show you. Pray like this. 
And it's a prayer that all of us can emulate. But understand, before we begin to really apply this this morning, you got to get this in your mind. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your name is great. Jesus is instructing us to pray this way. To pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Time out. Because we forget this. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And in that, he is letting us know that God's will is perfect in heaven. It's done without a, without a moment's hesitation. It's executed with perfection. There's no delay. There's no, oops, what happened? There's no mix-up. There's no, there's no anything. His will is executed perfectly in heaven. And therefore, we should pray for that will to be executed the same way here, which means inherently that it's not. Not that God is somehow not all-powerful, but by giving His people free will, we have the choice to jack some things up. And therefore, we should pray for the God of heaven, the God who is all-powerful, the God who breathed existence into existence. Ask for that power that exists in heaven to be made known right here. Pray for it. Ask God for it. Believe for it, for his will to be done. And when you're not sure, keep praying anyway. And when you haven't seen what you think God is wanting to do, keep praying and keep asking and keep knocking. Because our job is to ask, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, just like it's done in heaven. God, help me to bring what's up there down here. And so Jesus... Jesus is a perfect representation to us of what that looks like. Matthew 4, 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And he healed every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed. And what did he do? He healed them. Matthew 8 says that when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah when he said that Jesus, excuse me, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. I want you to hear this for a second because far be it from us to be a people 
who have simply learned what it looks like to be followers of Jesus, but we don't actually walk in any of his power or experience any of his power or ask for any of his power. We see Jesus healing everything. We see him driving out demons. We see him healing the sick. He healed mothers. He healed brothers. He healed sisters. He healed cousins. He set people free from the bondage of their sin. He healed emotional pain. Those who were dead, he brought back to life. Those who were sick with fevers, he made the temperature go to the right place. He took food and he divided it to be able to give to those who were hungry. He performed miracle after miracle. And then he gathered his disciples together and he said, do the same thing. And he sent them out. And what did they do? They began to lay their hands on the sick. They began to pray for those who were in need. They asked God for his power and moved in his power and leaned on God. And God moved in extraordinary ways. And when we look throughout church history, we see the miraculous. We see God moving in miraculous ways throughout history. In the first century, in the second century, all the way up to the 21st century. And yet somehow, in the corner of our hearts, in the corner of our seats, we, we find ourselves worshiping a God that just can't move in our life. And you need to hear something that is not true. It's not true. What can God not do? There's nothing he can't do. You sick? God can heal you. You have a disease? God can heal you. You have pain in your heart? Emotional pain? God can heal you. You have sin that you're wrestling with that you just can't seem to get free from. Guess what? God can set you free. God can make you new. Scripture tells us that the disciples got on a boat and sailed across the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and a storm came over. And all the disciples were scared to death. And they woke Jesus up because he was taking a nap. He wasn't scared at all. He wasn't intimidated. It wasn't too big for him. And he says, where's your faith? And he stands up and he rebukes the storm. Calms the waters. And the disciples look at him with great awe and fear and reverence. Why? Because he is a God that has power. And if he can calm a storm, what can he not bring peace to? If he can make legs that don't work, work again, what can he not bring life to? If he can, with a touch of his hand and a, and a word from his mouth, make people who can't speak, speak again, what can he not do? Oh, he can do anything. Anything. 